Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. For Lauren and her sister Jenny, Purim is about two things, homentation and remembering their mother Maxine. Every year without fail, these two sisters gather to carry on their mother's tradition of making hundreds of homentation to share with their expectant, grateful children and community. And I can see why their children and neighbors treasure this tradition. These soft, flaky, triangular filled cookies are three bites of perfectly balanced crust and sweet, but not too sweet, filling. Before we tell you all about them, would you please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast? Thank you. And here's Lauren. A lot of, I mean, everybody who comes on the show loves food, right? But not everyone works with food professionally, but you do. Yes. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your job and also your path to that job. Okay. So I guess I'll start with what I do now. I own a small custom cake business that I do um, celebration cakes, so birthdays and bar mitzvahs and just anniversaries, all kinds of special occasion custom cakes. Um, mm-hmm. I also do quite a bit of food styling for live television segments for yeah. um, freelance clients. And I also work as a private chef, so I do catering for events and dinner parties. Um, mm-hmm. I recently started doing a little bit of um, food photography for food businesses. So if you own a cookie company or a granola company and you need someone to take photos and style some of your products for your website or your social media. Okay. So you work incredibly hard. I just work a lot. I just take yeah. on as much as I can. I love, I love doing it. Mm-hmm. Would you like to talk a little bit about why freelance work works well for you and your family? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, we have three kids, mm-hmm. um, and one of them has pretty severe special needs. Um, mm-hmm. She has a rare syndrome called Rett syndrome. Um, and so she requires, you know, she does go to school, but she requires 24-hour around-the-clock care. And so when, you know, when she was diagnosed, I think that my husband and I at the time were you know, I owned a catering company at the time. He's a freelance editorial photographer, so he mm. has always done that. And we kind of kicked around the idea of, you know, he thought about maybe joining the fire department, becoming a fireman and having more steady hours and having mm-hmm. good benefits. Um, but we realized that for us to be able to take care of Molly and be there for her, mm-hmm. um, this kind of worked. So we just kind of work around each other's schedules and mm. one of us can always be there for her. And it's worked out well for our other two kids, too, because one of us is always there for them as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not always the most stable thing that you can do financially. So it can Mm -hmm. be stressful, but it also has a lot of good benefits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you went back, you would do it the same thing over again, you and your husband both. I just can't imagine not doing it this way anymore. Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine not having kind of the flexibility that we have. You know, honestly, there are nights where I'm making a cake at 3 a.m. because that's mm. the time I have available to do it. But I like having that flexibility. I think it would be really hard at this point to have a job where I'm required to go these hours every single week without the kind of flexibility. I just don't think it would right. work in right. our lives anymore. Right. It wouldn't work for Molly. 
No, it wouldn't work for Molly. Probably yeah. not. I mean, we're lucky that we have a big community of people to help us for sure. We mm. we have wonderful friends. I have my sister. Um, so we definitely have people who can step up and particularly, you know, pick up the other two kids from school or drive them or have them over for a sleepover or a play date or right. bring me a sandwich to the ER, you know, those type of things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So being a freelancer, a lot of that was defined when when Molly was diagnosed. But how about being in the food business? Did you always know that you would do that? Were you always drawn I, to food? So, oh, it's definitely always drawn to food. My mom was a really amazing cook mm-hmm. and entertainer. Um, and I think she was a young adult and a young mother in the time, in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, where food was changing um, Mm. and women's roles were changing. And Mm -hmm. she really enjoyed learning about really authentic cuisines. She really loved to learn about Mediterranean food, authentic Chinese food, not just like, you know, the sweet and sour pork and (laughs) egg rolls that you would get in Chinese restaurants. She really kind of searched out a way to to make authentic dishes at home and to try them in restaurants and I remember her making hummus in the 70s when I was eight or nine years old. And my friends being like, what is that? I mean, every kid knows what hummus is now. (laughs) But, you know, that was not your typical after school snack in the 70s. So I think she just was really inspired by the food movement at that time where people were trying to get a little bit more natural, trying to have a more kind of global perspective on food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you um, and you were right yes. along there for the ride with her. Yes, always. She always included us and let us try everything. We wanted to try everything. And I just really enjoyed learning about food from her. So I just remember writing, you know, kids would doodle, they would draw pictures and I would write restaurant menus. That wow. was going to be my, <laughs> my future restaurant. <laughs> that these were going to be the appetizers. And I think a lot of them were kind of like classic Mm -hmm. French dishes or things that I saw in, I loved the Foods of the World, the Time Life series books. Um, My mom had them all. That was my first interest in like beautiful pictures of food and recipes and, you know, different cultures. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I would just kind of write out menus for what my restaurant would be one day. That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, and and you kind of started to answer one of my first follow-up questions, which is, you know, for us, it's so easy. I have a collection on Instagram that I save recipes to. So I'm making a Thai dish tonight because that's what I want to make. All yes. these foods are so accessible to us. But you, like you said, in the 70s and 80s, they were not as accessible. So do you have a sense, you named these Time Life magazines, do you have a sense of where your mom got, first of all, the idea, the drive to even reach out into more global cuisines? Um, and then secondly, the inspiration and the ideas and the recipes? I think that she just was really inspired by travel. I don't think she got to do a lot of it, but she really wanted to. She Mm. loved to entertain. She loved to make people happy. That she ordered all these Time Life cookbooks, which are these kind of beautiful photographs that I think would stand the test of time. And I still look at them to this day. I remember pouring through them when I was a kid. I think at that time you really had to search it out. You know, Mm -hmm. she went to a Chinese restaurant. She, you know, if there were people who were Chinese there eating, she would look at what they were ordering. She would Mm. try to just, you know, open her mind to everything and was willing Mm. to try everything. And she really Mm. kind of imparted that on me. So I've Mm. always been willing to try absolutely everything. I love um, to try anything. (laughs) Can you think of maybe one of the more brave dishes that you've tried? Well, I've tried all types of 
organ meats that a lot of people oh, <laughs> would not wow. want to try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in Taiwan, I went to visit a good friend in Taiwan a few years ago, just mm. by myself, which was great. And very mm. nice of my husband to let me have that 10 days to go visit my friend. And of course, there's a lot of really wonderful food there. But one of the most interesting ones was these kind of candied tomatoes. They were like tomatoes dipped in like a hard candy glaze on a skewer. Um, at one of the night markets and it was not absolutely delicious to me, but it was amazing how popular it was. Yeah. I can't, sometimes, you know, you hear about flavor combinations or techniques and you think, oh, I can see that working. I can't. Yeah. It was like a candy apple glaze, like kind of hard red candy apple glaze on a like skewer of grape tomatoes. Well, we've started talking about your mom. And when I, when I look at your blog, I see a lot about your mom and your sister. Yes. So tell me more about your mom and then tell me a little bit about your sister. I, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately don't, didn't get to know her very well as an adult. So these are kind of all my childhood impressions of her and from friends because she did pass away when I was 14 and she was sick for a few years before that. Um, okay. And she died when she was 40. So wow. um, she didn't really get to live, you know, as somebody who is 49 now, yeah. um, you know, I realized that that, that still feels, I mean, some days, most days, it still feels young. Obviously, yeah. some days, you know, 49 doesn't feel as young as yeah. um, you want it to. But, but you have uh, a lot of she, life to live after 40. Yes, absolutely. So much life to live after 40. Um, and she didn't get to do that. But she was an artist. She taught elementary really? art school. Um, she was a painter. And then yeah. when my sister and I were in early grade school, she went back to school to become an interior designer. So she, I have beautiful, her beautiful drawings and renderings. And she started like a small interior design firm with a business partner and did a few commercial projects. I remember she did like a, these don't exist anymore, but a video store, like a commercial video store. Really? Um, mm -hmm. And really loved her work and just didn't really get the chance to band on it as much as she wanted to. Mm. She was diagnosed at 38 with breast cancer. Mm. I'm so sorry. Mm. But yeah, it just sounds like such an adventurer. Yes, I think she really did. I wish she, yeah, I wish she had had more time to, to travel. I think she would have really loved that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And tell me about your sister. Uh, my sister is, she's two and a half years younger than me. Uh, she is not as adventuresome when it comes, I think she would agree with this, as adventuresome mm-hmm. when it comes to eating as I am. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> she, you know, she doesn't love cooking. She can do it. But it's not like her favorite thing to do. So that's why this kind of home and Toshin project that we do every year for Purim, we really enjoy doing that together. Right. But she's a very creative person. She used to be a first grade teacher. Okay. She owns a small business now that's something creative. So she's a very creative person. So that really runs in the women in your family owning yes, your business. Yes, definitely. Yes, Hamantashen next. So am I saying that right, Hamantashen? Probably Homantashen. Homantashen. Yes. Okay. Some people do pronounce it Hamantashen, but I grew okay. up pronouncing it. Homantashen. Can you just explain Homantashen to me and what they should taste like? Because I was surprised when I first took a bite. Yes. So they are kind uh-huh. of a mix between a pastry and a cookie. It's like a tender, a more tender dough rather than very crisp. 
Would you call it? Um, so I, I guess I've always thought of it as a pastry. And mm-hmm. then whenever I wash something with an egg wash, to me, that's always more of like a bready thing. I think I thought it was going to be like a Danish pastry. So I yes. was surprised when I bit into it because it was borderline between like a shortbread cookie and a pie crust. Is that correct? Yes, that's that's a great description. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm happy to know that I did it correctly. And I have to say, mm-hmm. when I bit into this, <laughs> I was like, that is one of the best desserts I've ever had. Yeah, it's really like love at first bite for a lot of people. Oh, They're it really was good. so good. Tell me about the two fillings that you like and the other fillings that people might use. So my mom only made these two fillings, the prune filling and the apricot filling. And they they start with a can of a very specific brand of filling. So Solo brand, which I yes. think is used in a lot of Ashkenazi Jewish desserts. Okay, um, so what's Ashkenazi? Ashkenazi is Eastern European uh, oh. Jews oh. rather than Sephardic Jews. Okay. Um, and the cuisine kind of differs a little bit. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, is that how your family made it over to the States? Yes. Yeah, Eastern so, Europe. Okay. Yes, Eastern Europe. So I think that these kind of fillings are kind of representative of that. So my mom kind of doctored them up a little bit because, of course, it's a very common filling for homentashen, but of course, she would never use something straight out of the can. So the apricot okay. has apricot jam and a lot of fresh lemon juice added to it. And the prune, mm-hmm. you add chopped walnuts and raisins and honey and lemon juice. And, you know, I know there's a lot of different homentashen out there now. There's... <laughs> Glitter homentashen and rainbow Are unicorn homentashen. And yes, I mean, people do kinds of crazy things with well, homentashen. You're a purist when it comes to homentashen. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm just a purist when it comes to it. I just do, I mean, we did add cherry and I did mention that on this blog post. Um, yeah. Because my kids, my kids have come to really love the apricot ones. And I think oh. that my older niece, Madeline, my daughter's oldest, loves the prune ones as well. And our husbands both love the prune ones. Okay. But our kids were kind of rejecting of prunes. <laughs> um, they both love the apricot one. So we added cherry, which we usually do okay. with a um, can of solo cherry filling and then add cherry jam and lemon juice to it as well. Okay. Kind of something, a hybrid of what my mom probably yes. would have made if she did that. Right. Um, and so the kids love those. And even though it kind of infuriates me a little bit that that's their favorite <laughs> it's fine oh, you know oh yeah what's not to love about cherry so we make that too now right um, right and your mom but was I always up for trying new things so she probably yes, she was always up for trying new. new things yeah she probably would have been okay with it but I, they're always like put nutella in it put peanut butter in it and so i just refuse to go there yeah. i'm gonna stick with <laughs> fruit fillings and try to okay. make it more consistent with the memory of my mom Mm, right. Of course. Yeah. I think, you know, you were saying that your mom was very adventurous for the 70s and 80s. I do feel like it would have been typical in the 70s and 80s to just plop some pie filling into the middle. And, and the fact that she did kind of mix it with some lemon juice, some honey does seem unusual for that time. Yeah, definitely. I don't think people who are making kind of traditional home and Tasha recipes in the 70s would probably just use it straight out of the can. But she definitely you know, always tried to elevate things a little bit. Yes. Elevates the word I was looking for. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I like your mom. (laughs) Yeah. She's great. She really Mm. was. Mm. Now I could not find this solo brand. Do you get your solo at a local grocery store? Yeah. So usually I've had good luck finding it giant. I found it at Safeway before lots of times. 
Um, and then if worse comes to worse, we've actually ordered it off of Amazon. Yeah, I Amazon has become a friend in all of yes. this. <laughs> but I have a giant and a Safeway, so both of those are good. What is Purim historically celebrating? Um, it's more of a, a cultural thing for me, so I'm not... Okay super religious about it but yeah. um it was definitely it's kind of i've always kind of like a had it it's kind of akin to like the for children um mm-hmm. the jewish kind of halloween so you would dress mm-hmm. up as these characters in the story of king uh haman who is the Haman. i'm sorry who is the yeah. kind of the bad king and the um queen esther who was kind of the hero um mm-hmm. and you would need a lot of Hamantaschen and um, give gifts of treats to people, and that's kind of what it was for our for our mm-hmm. family. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have like specific memories of. I mean, I'm sure I did when I went to Hebrew school. I'm sure I was told the whole story, but it, that's not really what stuck with me about Purim. It was mostly my mom and the Hamantaschen and uh-huh. the. Um, the making of them and just like the whole day project of that. Um, okay. It's just something that when she was, when she was gone, it was just a real way to remember her um, mm. that she just made these every year without fail. Um, mm. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. And it's just, we do it the same exact way that she did mm. it. And just my sister and I do it together. I'm sure our kids are dying to help. I think mm. they'd love to help, but we do it when they're in school so that we mm. can spend the time together and just, um, crank them out and and talk and spend that time together and remember mm-hmm. our mom mm-hmm. and does the conversation usually turn to her that day definitely there are some times where i mean there are some years where i think it's probably all about her um mm-hmm. there are some years where you know we talk about our childhood um or we just talk about anything. It's just really time for us to get together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely been some times where there have been a few tears. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, families are difficult and mm-hmm. uh, growing up without a mom is difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, even sister relationships can be difficult. Mm-hmm. She's my best friend and I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there have even been times around forum where we've had a disagreement, but it doesn't matter. We're still going to make the home intoxication mm. every year, even if the day before we were, you know, yeah, having a disagreement. <laughs> we're still yep. going to make the home intoxication. It's like a really important thing to us. Absolutely. That's exactly what family is. It doesn't yes. go away. <laughs> <Yes>. Very <laughs> true. Mm. So, and you told me the only time you've ever made hamantashen outside of Purim was for your sister? Yeah, she was she was pregnant with her first baby, mm-hmm. um, who is now 17 and about to graduate high school, which is crazy wow. to me. But she was just having one of those kind of intense pregnancy cravings, uh-huh. and she wanted hamantashen. And some, you know, Purim is always usually in March, yes, um, lunar calendar, so it kind of changes all the time um Uh but sometime in march and so my niece was born in august and i think this was probably july um so it just felt very weird to me because you don't make home and talk in july (laughs) you're not in the mindset and but i did make them because she really and obviously she couldn't help me she was kind of very pregnant and miserable i can't remember if i went to her condo at the time and made them or if i made them at home but either way she got them and that was the only time outside of forum that i've you know, made the home and mm-hmm. Um, and also the only time I've made them without her. 
Okay. Uh, normally I make the dough at home because I just have a giant mixer, mixer. and then we go to yeah. her house and she has a bigger kitchen and a bigger island and it's a lot okay. of rolling and cutting. Yes, it um, is. So she handles getting the filling ingredients. I make the dough in advance, which you can make and freeze, which is wonderful, or you can yeah. just keep in the refrigerator for a few days. And so I make all of that at home in my giant commercial KitchenAid mixer and then I bring it over to her house. Yeah. Well, that's really, I think that definitely honors your mom. I think your mom would have done that, made it in July for your pregnant sister. (laughs) I think she would have definitely. Yeah. It was a very maternal thing for you to do actually. Yes. I didn't have any children at that point. And I just remember being, I mean, so excited that I didn't know it was my niece, but that, you know, I was going to have a niece or nephew and just trying to really help her out in those, that last kind of that time. last push. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although maybe last push is a bad Let's see. So you said you make 250 of these? Yes. Mm-hmm. So who eats all of these? Surprisingly, we eat a lot. Um, both <laughs> of our families. Um, you can really eat since they're, and I kind of hate this expression because it just makes you feel old, but they're not too sweet. <laughs> you know, like when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, you know, the big mound of icing. And then and when you get older, everything is not too sweet. But anyway, they're not super sweet. They're not super rich. So you can eat many of them. Um, but I also give them to everybody. So if you see me during Purim, then you're getting uh-huh. home and toshin. If I have the time, then I will deliver some to your house. It just kind of depends on what's going on that week. But if you drop my kids off from carpool, then you're getting a bag of home and Toshin. If you are, um, I see you, uh, at school drop off, then you're getting a bag of home and Toshin. If I'm going to drive by your house, I'll leave one on your porch. Um, so I try to, you know, give some to friends and neighbors and then, you know, my kids really mourn when they're gone. So I really try to make a lot so they can just kind of eat the home and Toshin to their heart's content. They're very, very excited for them every year. I love this concept and more and more I'm hearing this that everyone but us extravagant Americans seem to embrace of just, you know what, there's a time and a season for everything and you make a food for a particular event. And then when that event is done, you wait until the next year. And I really like this idea. I wish we did this more. Yeah, I really love it too, because I think it makes it super special. Yes. Um, And I have quite a few of those kind of food memories for my kids now. And I always make a special pecan pie on Thanksgiving for my daughter. And we always, uh, we're a mixed faith, if you want to call it that, a kind of more mixed cultural tradition households. Mm-hmm. We celebrate mm-hmm. Christmas also, and we do a fondue on Christmas with my sister and her Oh, family. really? You know, we do like traditional cheese fondue and chocolate fondue. And just something that we do every year, our Thanksgiving menu is the same some part of me would like to switch it up a little bit, obviously, but like my kids are very rooted in food tradition. Um, mm. They expect like the same things every mm. year um, mm. and it really makes them happy. Yes. To, yes. They, I mean, they're, they're adventuresome and they'll try things. Well, one of them is adventuresome and they will try things, <laughs> different things, but just for those kind of holidays, they all kind of revolve around food um, yeah. and spending time with family. So yeah. they always have the expectation that, you know, we'll spend time with family and we'll have this. 
Right. Right. And there's all the other days of the year to be adventurous. Yes, of course. Exactly. (laughs) And I think it, it was a mistake I made. I think as a younger mother, what I thought was boring was actually just comforting to my kids. I don't think I grasped, um, how much, not just routine, but traditions like that provided comfort to my kids. Yes, definitely. My kids, particularly my middle daughter is very kind of rooted in tradition. And I mean, even Girl Scout cookies that are out now are like a tradition to her. She's like, <laughs> right? it's Girl Scout cookie time because she knows we just buy the Girl Scout cookies just during time that of time of year. Right. And then we, we eat them. And then when they're gone, then it's next year's Girl Scout cookie time. Right. So exactly. yeah, I think it's things to look forward to, you know? Yes. That's a great example. Yeah. It's at least my kids are very comforted by sameness, particularly my middle daughter doesn't love change that much. You know, if I bought a new rug, there's been tears at times. So I can definitely give her all these memories and all this kind of consistent, stable food memories. And I hope that someday she'll, you know, grow up and continue them as well. I'm sure. Does she cook? Now, you said they do not make the home Tasha with you. That's just you and your no, sister. But we've realized we're going to have to teach them how to make them yeah. someday because someday Jenny, my sister and I will not be able to make them. So mm-hmm. we're going to have to let somebody carry on the tradition. My sister and I also had babies born on the same day, six hours really? apart. <gasps> yes. That's so we so both... Cool. Um, my daughter, Sophie, my middle daughter and her daughter, Maisie, definitely like we think kind of a gift from our mom, you know, to have these babies born on the same day. Mm -hmm. Um, Two little girls who are absolutely best friends. They call themselves the twin sister cousins. And um, perhaps they'll be the two that take it over for us. Little mini versions of us. So yeah, yes, yes. I think cousins. So I only have boys. But I'm lucky that I have nieces on both sides. And I always say cousins are all the benefits of siblings, but none of the drawbacks because you don't know them well enough to bicker all the time, you know, but you have that closeness that you just know each other and you know each other's family and cultural values. You kind of know those dynamics, the the uglier sides, you just, you kind of get each other in a way that you can only get each other if you grow up in the same family. That's kind of the perfect, I think the perfect um, description of it for sure. Mm -hmm. My kids are really lucky with cousins on both sides that they're really close to. And particularly, you know, Sophie and Maisie getting to have this really special relationship. And I think actually you, don't you have your, one of your son's and a cousin were born just a few days apart? Four days apart. Mm -hmm. Four days apart. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, you understand that kind of really special relationship. Um, I do, but they, I've always share. I, I do, but I've always thought that it was lucky that one was a boy and one was a girl because I thought it could be easy to be competitive um, if they were both the same gender. So that's pretty cool that that hasn't been an issue at all. For no, definitely they they love each other so much and they have different interests. Um, okay. So like Maisie's a big hockey player she is on several different travel teams wow um sophie likes rock climbing and is very artistic but they support each other's interests and they also go to a sleepaway camp together every every year they're going for a month this year and so they get to spend like special cousin time and um it's also it's great cousins because they really understand you know our family situation with molly so right um, right, and they're really wonderful and 
and, you know, have grown up and don't know any different. And your kids have seen that unbreakable family bond modeled through your and your sister. Absolutely. You know, she is my family. Um, I am her family. Our families together are super important to us. And I just can't imagine like not having her no. in my yeah. life. She's, she's really, you know, an amazing mother. I've learned a lot from her. Um, she's, you know, my best friend for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm positive she would say the same about you. Um, just even the little I know about the sacrifices you've made to just be a great mother to your kids and just do what it takes oh. <laughs> to make your family work. You know, I really admire that. So the only question I have about making them, and mm-hmm. I, I was very intimidated and they came together very, very easily. I was surprised. Did you see the picture that I took? Did they yes. look about, mm-hmm. did they look about right? Yes. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They looked great. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's yeah. better than, I mean, when they baked, did they kind of, did you have any that broke apart or they were, you were all good? One opened up a little. Mm-hmm. Right. So my only question is, you make a point of saying that Crisco is the traditional fat in these. Can you explain yes. why that is? So I think that, you know, many Jews keep kosher. And certainly my my dad grew up in a kosher household, even mm-hmm. though we didn't grow up particularly very, very religious. And my mother grew up probably much less religious um, than my dad. But he grew up in a kind of kosher household. And so... Um, as a nod to like his, his family, I think my mom tried to keep them parve, um, mm-hmm. which means when you're kosher, you don't mix milk and meat together. So let's say if they had, uh, meat for dinner, then they would have to wait six hours before they could eat anything right. with milk or butter. So by using Crisco, which, and obviously has bad rap these days, and I'm not saying, you know, I, I'm a baker and I cook with, mm-hmm. bake with butter exclusively, except for the home mm-hmm. I've never tried the recipe with butter. I do have a friend who tried it uh, with butter. I feel like it would change the texture of the, yeah. of the crust, mm-hmm. definitely. And it would change the flavor. Um, maybe it would be absolutely delicious, but it wouldn't be the same for yes. me. Yes. Yes. Um, it's very traditional and it does make it like super flaky and gives it that specific kind of texture. Very flaky. Yes. And like you said, it uh, nobody's going to argue Crisco's the healthiest thing in the world. Nobody's going to argue butter's healthy, right. <laughs> but you're eating them once a year and you give away, it sounds like more than half of what you make. So, yes, you know, in the end, to be traditional, to respect your family, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I just, not anything that has like bothered me at all, but other people have always seemed a little bit bothered by it. So really? <laughs> I just thought I would address it. Well, I've just had a lot of friends who have made it and said, well, can I substitute butter? I don't use Crisco. Oh, and I, okay. I said, well, you can. <laughs> yeah, won't be right, but you can. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. All right. So just last question. Tell me a little bit how you will celebrate Purim this year and your kids, especially what will they do? Really for us now, um, Uh I just celebrate the holidays with food, but that's what my kids are expecting and love and are so excited for. So they'll come home from school and they'll rush in the door because they'll know that I went to Jenny's house to make them and they'll be like, where are the home and and 
And actually, you know, I have friends who also really look forward to it now too. Oh, I was going to get say. excited for the home and Toshin. So yeah, I bet they're volunteering to carpool that week. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and my kids are already getting excited because it's getting to be kind of close that time of year to, to home and Toshin time. Well, in order to release this episode, I will be making home and for Purim also this year. So, yes. Which I can't wait. It's a good thing that dough is frozen because I'm tempted to go in and make a couple for my for my morning coffee. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're really it's perfect for that. And when you have four kids, so they're gonna go fast in your house as well. They oh really gosh. Go. Oh yeah, they'll go very fast. Yeah. And maybe I'll in honor of your tradition, you know, I'll carry it on by handing some of them out to neighbors. It is really nice to hand them out to neighbors and they'll love them and they'll, yeah. they'll be excited. They'll ask you next year, are the home yeah. fashion coming again? <laughs> From now on, I'll always have to celebrate Purim, I guess. Yes. <laughs> it's a dangerous precedent. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to see the pictures. Like, cause your photography is like an inspiration to me and amazing. So oh, um, I really you. can't wait to see what you do with kind of the styling and the photos for them. I'm excited also. I will definitely put creative effort into it and try to make something really beautiful to really honor your mom. So Yeah, it, in the end, it's all about honoring her and her memory and, and keeping it alive, you know, for our kids too, who never got to meet her, just mm-hmm. so that they know Grandma Maxine. This is Grandma Maxine's recipe, Grandma Maxine's home and Toshin, And they know that, you know, so it's a way of them getting to love something about her also because they didn't get the chance to, to know her. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that they don't have that chance. That's really a significant loss for you and for them. And I am glad that you have this. Yes. It's it's definitely um, something that helps keep her, mm-hmm. you know, as cliche as it sounds, like keep her memory alive for us and mm-hmm. just a way to connect and spend mm-hmm. some time with my sister remembering her mom. Yeah. I'm very glad you have that. Good. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Lauren. Oh my gosh, thank you for taking the time to to do this. I just oh. I'm I'm thrilled to like share her her recipe with a lot more people. I feel very very honored to to do that. Is there anything you'd like to share with us in terms of your contact information if people want to reach out to you for cakes, for styling, for photography? Yeah, so I have a website. It's mostly for the cakes, but there's a little bit about the food styling on there, which is aspenstreetcakes.com. And then my contact information is on a page in there. So you can email me or at Instagram, which is at Lauren Candel, K-A-N-D-E-L, which is my middle name, last initial C. I wondered. Um, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) People are like, Candlelick, is that your last name? (laughs) Um, I think I only signed up for Instagram in 2012. So like my name was gone, of course. Um, Oh, yeah. So, you know, you can always DM me through there as well. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. You too. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. Thanks again to Lauren. You can find her contact information and her home and recipe on my blog, thestoriedrecipe.com. You can also find a new series there all about food photography. The series is called The Storied Shot. And with each post, I'm diving deep into one photograph and telling you all about the prop choices, colors, lighting, tips and tricks that I used to create a photograph that hopefully tells the story of my podcast guest. If you find this helpful, or if you enjoy the podcast, 
Would you please take a moment to either leave a review or just share about this podcast with someone else? Every week, I feel more and more proud of the community we're building that bears witness to the lives of those that loved us through their cooking. Every review and every share helps make this a more sustainable podcast. And that truly means the world to me personally. Thank you so much and have a great week, my friends.